This show is sponsored by Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus lets you binge on thousands of hit shows and your favorite anime anytime, anywhere on your TV, PC, smartphone, or tablet. Support this podcast and get an extended free trial of Hulu Plus when you go to HuluPlus.com forward slash anime. That's HuluPlus.com forward slash anime. In the new podcast studio that we will build at some point, I am going to secretly build a trap door into the floor and w- right under where Chiaki sits. And whenever she happens to make comments about Moe, I'm just going to pull the lever next to me and she's just going to fall through the floor. It'll give you a great... What's at, the, what's at the bottom of the pit? A bunch of like broken PVC figure parts? A bunch of dead Sounds Moe really girls. You just listened to the song Goya no Machiawase from the anime Noragami by the artist Hello Sleepwalkers. This is episode 215 of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast, where our sole mission is to make your anime addiction worse. Couldn't have been more perfect if we practice. I am Chiaki, and I am joined by my testosterone sandwich. Give me one half of the sandwich. This is Cram. What's up? And my, the other half. My name is Mitsugi, and I am proud to be a testosterone sandwich today. Woohoo! You can find us at aaapodcast.com, iTunes. Don't forget to drop us a rating on iTunes, especially if you like us. Facebook.com forward slash Anime Addicts Anonymous Podcast. Hit that like button and get news and Hit photos it. and stuff from Hit Japan it. and updates on our show. Twitter.com forward slash aaapodcast, or you can search for us at aaapodcast. And Ustream.tv, where we broadcast live every 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Saturdays. So you can join us there. But if you can remember, aaapodcast.com, links to all of those there. That was really well done, Chiaki. Thank nice you. Job. Thank you very much. We actually have a five-star review, so someone else thought we were doing a very good job. Yeah, so we got we, we received our 150th five-star review from the United States. Yeah, so. That's great. Yeah. Milestone. It is sort of. Uh, so the this five star review was submitted by Bearded Baca, who writes a really insightful run through currently airing anime, various topics, both anime and Japan related, and hosts who regularly check in on their audience. What's not to love? Can't recommend this more to people looking for a good anime podcast to listen to. 
my addiction has gotten worse. That's wonderful. Thank That's you. Great. Thank you for that. Maybe you should check into a clinic about that. We're we're living up to our mission. A clinic? Yeah. We are the clinic. Well, yeah, that's right. We are the clinic. <laughs> In other words, join our forums. Uh, speaking of forums, we have new forum members. What I know will be everyone's hopeful name of the week, Full Metal Sausage, <laughs> Nagi Watson, The Great Nagao, Yokudama, Opai for Senpai <laughs> and Moe Empire. There are some fantastic uh, names. Slow I gotta, clap. I got it. Yeah, good job, clap. you guys. I'm this, taking this Opai for way. Senpai. That's. I'm sorry. I'm gonna Full go metal with, sausage is pretty good. Though. I'm gonna go with Full Metal Sausage. I I will take. I'll take Moe Empire. Don't you do it. <laughs> Don't you do it. You're, I just you, did it. You're never going to get to wear the Pope hat ever. I just I made the Pope hat. But, you're, but it doesn't matter. I put it on the first time. I, I am the only one of the three of us, or maybe not, that is an ordained minister. I'm an ordained minister. Are you? That's well, right, with the Universal Life Church, Church of uh, Modesto, California. I feel like I Online should. Online ordination. But maybe. have you actually ever done a wedding? I have not. I have done a wedding. And Chianki is, not, is neither ordained nor has she done a wedding. And you and you apparently love Moe, so you are never going to wear the Pope hat. I Sorry. was an altar girl. Be gone, blasphemer. <laughs> Trivia. In the new podcast studio that we will build at some point, I am going to secretly build a trap door into the floor <laughs> and w- right under where Chiaki sits. And whenever she happens to make comments about Moe, I'm just going to pull the lever next to me and she's just going to fall through the floor. <laughs> It'll give you a great... What's at, the, what's at the bottom of the pit? A bunch of like broken PVC figure parts? A bunch of dead Sounds Moe really girls. <laughs> and uh, it'll just give people that watch live death more incentive PVC to do so. Figure. Death by PC. You're gonna get you, you're gonna get impaled on some spiky Goku hair. That's right. <laughs> that could kill someone. Pull, you pull some sexy plastic leg that. out of your own leg. Okay, so we have trivia, right? We do have trivia. This was apparently a much easier week. The answer was dirty pear. Congratulations to the Great Nagao, Space Adventure Goto, Kawaii Kraken. Sindar, Father of Ronin, Strife, Jabberwocky X, Crutch 910, Trillanus, Overlord Ramirez, Opai for Senpai. Is that a Trillanus tr- 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 or Trillanus? Trillanus. <laughs> oh, he he posted on the forums and he, he corrected us. It's actually Trillanus. Trillanus. Leviosa. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ginger Ninja, Ragey, Chapter 9, Icy Rose, Is No Try, and Astrophysics. But the week winner, uh, new forum member took it, the great Nagao. So congratulations. congratulations. Yeah, very nice. And our new, or our current theme, sorry, not new, our current theme is old timers. So new I actually trivia. got it. I knew it this week. I was very proud of oh, myself. Oh, good job. I'm, I'm kind of an old man. It's time for an almighty anime mailbag. Anime. 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 Mailbag. Bag, 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 bag. If you would like to submit a mailbag for us to talk about on the show, you can go to our main page, www.aaapodcast.com, and there's a tab called Mailbag. Would one of you boys like to read the first mailbag? Well, I read the the 150th review, so All right. Graham, you can go ahead and I'll read tackle this it. One. This one comes from Lily, and Lily writes, Since listening to your podcasts, I realized that while I watch plenty of anime, I don't know the people behind these shows. Directors, writers, actors, artists, etc. Could you make some note of uh, some of the must-know people in the industry at the present time, those whose names come first to mind? However many few you have time for, this would be great. Thanks, Lily. This, to me, felt more like an entire podcast topic. 
which isn't, I mean, we've done this before, but it wouldn't be terrible to revisit the topic, but I very lazily just wrote down some directors, writers, and songwriters, because that's I'm, kind of all I think we can do in a mailbag. I'm, I'm admittedly not as well-versed in, in anime creators and stuff like that as I am in, like, film and, like, Western film and television. Well, I know some of them, so, I mean, I didn't spend much time on this, admittedly, but I did write down some stuff. Obviously, directors, there are the really, really obvious ones are Hayao Miyazaki, Isao Takahata, Satoshi Kon, who recently um, passed away, Makoto Shinkai, Shinichiro Watanabe, Seiji Kishi, and there was a huge, there was actually a poll done by a website about the, which directors would be the the new Miyazaki after Miyazaki finished his career. There is, and that's in the news, so stay tuned for the news breaks. There's also Mamoru Hosoda. Mamoru Hosoda. um, Katsuhiro Otomo and uh, Mamoru Oshii and... I mean, even Akiyuki Shimbo. Say what you will about Akiyuki Shimbo. He's working all the time, and he's very, very hit or miss, but he's a name that Hide, people should know. Hideaki Anno, yeah, who did Evangelion. And I don't know. There's a bunch of them that, that are actually really well-known. You just don't hear their names because mm-hmm. they're not Miyazaki. Osamu so. Dezaki and people like that. But, I mean, if you're going only current, I don't know. That's tough. Like, my what I know goes all the way back to, like, the 80s and 70s. I, I, yeah, I ha- but the thing is, is a lot of these people who started back in the 80s and 70s are still working. I mean, yeah. look at Miyazaki. He's still working. Yeah. They tend to have pretty long careers. <laughs> I have a, I have a lot of hope for Yone Bayashi, who's an upcoming director for Ghibli. Yeah, me who too. Did, who did Arietti, which was so fantastic. And he's direct doing a new movie, which comes out in the summer, called um, Memory of... What is the girl's uh, name? When Marnie was here or something like yeah, that. Well, it's based on a, a children's book. I think. Memory of Marnie or something like that. So anyway, so for writers, I just wrote down Akira Toriyama and Yoshiyuki Tomino, who, do, who does most of the Gundam shows. I mean, of course, the One Piece are... I mean, I, I don't know all their names, but <laughs> the guy that does One Piece and Kuroko no Basuke are probably the most famous in Japan right now. So, And then songwriters, I just wrote down Yoko Kano because that's... She's kind of the number one, and Taku Iwasaki, who has done a ridiculous amount of stuff that you just people don't people aren't going to know his name, but he's done pretty much the, the his list of credits is tremendous. And Kenji Kawai has done a lot of stuff, so yeah. those are three really good songwriters. So I don't know. This is stuff that's really easy to research. I mean, we could do a whole podcast topic on it, but if you literally just type in anime songwriters or anime anime mangaka, you'll get you'll find these people. That's pretty easy. Yeah. So. I recommend that you do that. Anyway, the second mailbag is written by GreenTango.uk. Writes, "Hi, AAA Podcast. I'm counting. I'm coming to Japan next year, and it got me thinking about the themed cafe and restaurant I've been to whilst last in Japan, such as the Eight Bit Maid Cafe, the Lockup, and my favorite, the Resident Evil themed restaurant in Shibuya last year. Actually, GreenTango.uk contacted me on the forum and wants to meet up, so maybe that will happen." Yeah, if you come to Japan, let us know. Yeah, so this was submitted last year, but he is coming recent, uh, pretty soon. My question is, what themed cafes and restaurants have you been to in Japan, if any, and what would you pick as a theme restaurant if you could choose your own? Keep up the good work. Your show gets me through a few hours of work each week. Oh. I appreciate that, and I know the feeling, so stick with it. I've been to Christ on Church, which is a Christian church-themed cafe that has, like, Jesus on the cross what? and everything. It's really <laughs> Where ridiculous. Where is this? I don't remember, but it's ridiculous. What? <laughs> uh, num- uh, several maid cafes, a couple opobu, which if you listen to a hentai episode, you'll get, you'll know what, you know, learn what that is. I've been to the Gundam Cafe, like, seven times. Cause it's We've been r- together. Yeah, a few times, mm-hmm. actually, because it's right next to the station. I've only ever been once. 
The AKB Cafe is kind of underwhelming. I've never been in there, but it's is right it? next to the Gundam Cafe. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about AKB in general. Yeah, though. well, the, they actually have idols, uh, AKB idols that work there, but they're the really, really low-level ones. So. Uh, well, that's be- that's why they work in a cafe. But they're technically part of AKB, so if you want to meet an idol and get an erection. Yeah, yep. people. <laughs> grown men, grown men line up in the rain to get it's, into that cafe. Pretty, I've got some photos <laughs> of that. And of course, the Jubilee Cafe, which is at the Jubilee Museum, mm-hmm. which is really cute. You can get like a, a little flag of. I've never stuff eaten in your at sandwiches. the Jubilee Cafe either. I've I've never eaten inside it. I I got a hot dog and a beer at the little stand outside. I got a I got a porcaroso sandwich when I was there. Oh, that's nice. I've never actually been. Inside. Was it I went, filled with porcaroso inside? Oh, <laughs> gross. I, if I could if I could create a cafe, I would create a Dragon Ball Z cafe. I don't know that there is one. If I could create and a cafe, okay, cram, be excited with me on all right, this. All right, here we go. Top of a Tokyo building, mm. conservatory glass style. Mm. Rose Garden Utsuna Cafe. Whoa! Wouldn't that be awesome? Yes. Stonework and like and metal tables, and, and nobody would go, and it would cost a million dollars to run because it's on top of a building. I would, I would wear my prince roses. uniform with tassels. And like when you come in, like when you come in, you get you get like a a rose, know, a rose. <laughs> you can you can pick oh man, you which color is, section is there? A, is there an attraction where you get to slap a doll of Anthe? <laughs> Like just a, a life-size doll where you can just backhand <laughs> Anthe repeatedly <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> or maybe a, a hit on your brother section. Oh, terrible. Is it like an arcade machine where you like where you slap Anthe and it gives you a rating on how on how hard you hit her? <laughs> it's awesome. That's a good idea. It's, it, it's like it's like the it's like the Hajime no Ippo punching machine. You slapped her so hard you got the sword of Dio's high score. <laughs> I've been to a couple of game themed cafes. I've been to Eight uh, Bit Cafe and Muteki Mario. I've been to Ludia, the Ludia's Cafe, um, or Ludia's Bar. It's the Dragon Quest Cafe. That was pretty oh, cool. I want to go one. there. I love it's the sl- cool. I love the Slime Tower. Um, uh, Alcatraz is pretty cool. I like okay. Alcatraz. Have you been there? Yeah, I went to Alcatraz. Is it once. worth going to? Because I want to go. there. Yeah, it's expensive, but I mean they all are. I've been to a couple of Ghibli cafes se- actually. There's do, one up in Scuba. Do sexy girls dance at Alcatraz? No, there are no dancing girls. There are no dance. Not that I saw. Do, do, do guys? I feel like there are no dancing girls in all of Japan. Yeah. Do, like, you, do like guys? Tell me where you see dancing girls in Japan. Do you guys run up against the your prison cell bars and scream and shake the bars? Yeah, yeah. There is that kind of stuff. Like oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, there's horror type things there. I don't want someone screaming at me when I'm eating. Well, you know, then don't go. There, I won't. There was an Stay article. Home. There was I an will. article. I think it was on Kotaku w- recently about the craziest theme cafes in Japan, and it's really easy to find if you just Google Google something like that. And there's like and there's vampire cat, cat cafes. There's, and yeah, there's vampire cafes and and um, there's cafes. There's like there's like a ninja cafe, and I mean, you for, know, this for God's sake, it's like a whole series of things. This isn't a theme cafe, but. If you're looking for something special to do in Tokyo, there is a cafe, or not a cafe. Well, there is a cafe at the top of Skytree, but there's also a restaurant, and I think that would be awesome. But it's like bougie, bouge, bouge restaurant. So, yeah, well, of course, of course, you have to pay thirty bucks just to get to it. Okay, so yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you can take your seventy dollars and buy a box set of anime Blu-rays, or you can go to our restaurant and get three leaves of lettuce. How much money did you say a box of Blu-rays was? <laughs> $70. $70. $70. What universe do you live in? <laughs> Rather, what country do you live in? 
I live in a universe where Japan gets reasonable about the prices of, of things and uh, stops so, so stop selling <laughs> stop selling the Gundam uh, the Gundam Wing box set for five hundred dollars. I have to admit, with the Ninja Cafe, if I see them deliver my food, I'd be really disappointed. Free, yeah. Okay. F- free meal. Free meal. All right, moving on. I'm sorry, that was a great discussion. So, voting for the anime Oscars will be closed on the night of, of the 27th this month. Until then, you can vote at www.animeoscars.aaapodcast.com. It's also available from the top page of the website, aaapodcast.com, so you can go there. At the time we're recording this, we have over 3,000 votes cast, so I was really happy about that. It's, it really makes me glad that a lot of people have participated. I'm not sure when this episode will go out, but the voting will probably be closed by the time that people that, that are listening on their iPods will you know, be hearing this. Also, I want to give one last shout-out to the podcast committee that contributed nominations to the Anime Oscars. You can check them out. They are Annie Vision, Anime 3000, Gundam at MAHQ, Anime Pulse, and One Piece Podcast. So I appreciate that, you guys. So thank you for your, contribu- for your contributions. Also, as soon as the Anime Oscars voting is finished, we're going to put up the poll for the listener's choice anime for the, for the winter of 2014. So, people, you can go and under the website and vote for which anime you want to be the ninth anime from the winter 2014 season that we cover on the podcast. Last time it was a bunch of Moe character, a bunch of Moe anime, and that's that's fine. Um, voting will probably last about two weeks. Please don't try to stuff the voting by cheating. I do check the voting logs for irregularities, and it was extremely obvious last time when you tried to cheat. <laughs> when so. you, you, when you know you. who, when you, you know listeners, who, you know who you are. Bad listeners. Somebody wanted No Non Biori to win really badly. Bad llama. So badly that I'm going to vote 100 times in one day for it. <laughs> Ridiculous. Anyway. So, do we have a fun Japanese thing here since we're in Japan? We do, and it's a very noisy food, so I'm going to try to do my best here. At 7-Eleven, as part of the endless line of Attack on Titan products, and by the way, my, my 7 and 8-year-olds are watching Attack on Titan. Oh, yeah. It's Everybody really, at my school. It's really sick. Like what parent? What parent watches a titan rip a human being in half and drink its blood and goes, "Oh yeah, my seven-year-old totally can watch this. It's cool." Most of the people that I know, the, most of the kids that I know that are watching it are like, "Oh, my dad watches it, so I watch it with him." And I'm like, "We actually we, um, unreal." I I have a friend who who we asked, but the, their kids are younger. They're like six, seven instead of instead of like seven, eight. But but they're like. We're like, do you watch Titan? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, do you watch it with your kids? And they're like, no. <laughs> well, anyway, your parents are a lot more reasonable. Anyway, what I'm holding here is a bag of Sasha no, ni- no Oniku, which is, I guess, the meat that Sasha carries around inside her jacket. Yeah, but, but it, it literally <laughs> translates to... <laughs> Sasha's meat. Sasha's, Sasha's meat. meat. I'm ready to eat Sasha's meat. It, sh- it should be called a you know, Kyojin no Oniku. Ooh, gross. No, Kyojin. Now. What have you done? Sh- Shingeki no Kyojin. It looks like little poops. Yeah, they're so, like so little spirals. So it has a pic- it has a cute picture of Sasha, who is oh. who is oh an inc- who is an incredibly <laughs> an incredibly worthless character in Attack on Titan, but she's holding her little her little meat and and, and its little rope sack inside of Mitsuki, her jacket. This smells like a fart. Well, <laughs> this is a fart cracker. Well, it, it basically looks like a little it looks like a little white pile of poop, and it what I think it's supposed to be is like a it, it's 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 like a Cheeto. So I'm gonna actually mute you. Got mute your mics while you eat these because a mu- a because it's gonna be noisy. So you are now muted. So go ahead and go ahead and try your uh, your onikus. And I'm actually not gonna have one because they look really gross. And um, 
Yeah, when you guys are finished chewing, I'll bring you back on. You can talk about it. Cram's making a really weird face. He's struggling. And, um... It looks like a... It looks like a little spirally yellow poop thing. So, I'm actually, I'm actually gonna hold one up for the people that are watching live, because that's why you're here. So, this is what it looks like. And... Oh, Chiaki wants another one. Okay, you can have another one. I'm, I'm second opinion. Alright, Cram's mic is now on, so what do you think? Uh, it, it, it's kind of got a... It kind of spanks of meat a little bit. It's kind of got a meaty well, it taste is a, to it. It is Sasha's. To, yeah. It is Sasha's meat. But I don't so, know. It's fine, I guess. So, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn Chiaki back on, and I'm gonna go hold up one of these things for the camera so people can see that are watching live. You should watch live. If you don't, you should you, you should sometime. You get to have little tidbits like this. I uh, it kind of tastes like ketchup. It does. There's yeah. There's something. There's kind of like a ketchup barbecue ketchup sauce kind of. Kind of little little thing going on there. It's crunchy. I like crunchy. I like Cheetos. So if you ever see me at a convention, bring Cheetos. But not the crunchy Cheetos. The puffy Cheetos. Yeah. Who cares about the crunchy Cheetos? I would like to clarify that Cheetos are not actually chips. They are... Uh, okay, snack they food are in they made a of bag. Corn? Aren't they made of corn? Everything's made of corn. What about potato chips? <laughs> I think I think they're made of potatoes, Mitsugi. Not always, because because I think people would call Fritos potato chips, and Fritos are made of corn. Fritos are corn chips. I would call Fritos corn chips. Yeah, I kind of would, too. All anyway. right. Now that we've had that deep philosophical debate on chips, yeah, <laughs> we're going to take a short news break. When we come back, we are going to have a discussion on the otaku effect inspired by Hayao Miyazaki, <laughs> and then we'll have a yes. review of Kyoso Giga later, one of our group reviews. But over the break... We will have a question. Did you vote yet in the 2013 Anime Oscars? Yes, of course. Yes, but I abstain from many categories. No, but I will soon. No, I'm not interested because I'm a boring person who doesn't like this podcast. I mean, no, I'm not interested. Wow. (laughs) Wow, way to be a hater. Stay tuned, everybody. Hey everyone, this is Chiaki, and this is your Anime News Break. First up, for you ladies out there who want to do something special for your anime fan man, there's something new out there that you might want to get your hands on. It's a new set of Sailor Moon lingerie. Now, these are very cute bra and panty style sets, so you can be his or your favorite Sailor Scout when you're headed into the bedroom, or, you know just because and guys even if you don't have a special lady in your life there are pictures of the magazine ad campaign and all the girls modeling said lingerie now guys if you're in the mood for something special to wear as an undergarment well you can control your colossal titan with some new attack on titan underwear they are very reasonable 2500 yen which is 25 US dollars, and have the Colossal Titan on one of the legs. I almost want them to sleep in, you know, just personally. In other news, Sony Pictures Worldwide Acquisitions and Lucent Pictures Entertainment have recently announced the sci-fi adventure Appleseed Alpha, 
It's a new CG animated film, which is the latest installment in the franchise based on the original Appleseed manga. Appleseed Alpha is a reboot that will depict the early days of Denoan and Barius in the search of the legendary city of Olympus. Shingeki Anamaki of Appleseed, Star Trip Trooper Invasion, Space Pirate Captain Harlock, and a bunch of other things I'm sure, will direct and Joseph Cho of Appleseed X Machina and Halo Legends will produce, so there are people from the previous Appleseed installments involved on the project. There is a first image from the film and it looks fantastic. In other news for you listeners, in the United Kingdom, it has been announced that Hayao Miyazaki's latest film, The Wind Rises, will be opening in the United Kingdom cinemas on May 9th. It has had its United Kingdom premiere last weekend as part of the Glasgow Youth Film Festival, but this will be a broader release. In other news that's relevant to you Hulu Plus subscribers, or just Hulu subscribers in general, Viz Media's Neon Alley has recently announced that it will evolve to become part of Hulu and Hulu Plus video on demand services. It will continue to offer simulcast premieres and exclusive content to an expanded audience. The anime streaming brand will be carried by Hulu. U.S. fans will be able to catch a wide variety of brand new anime, as well as classic content distributed and or licensed by Viz Media for free at NeonAlley.com. The site will also become the new home for all free streaming anime content previously available on VizAnime.com. Neon Alley will reach an expansive on-demand audience on the free and ad-supported Hulu and Hulu Plus subscription services. This was Chiaki, and this was your anime news break. Don't go anywhere, because we'll be back to the show soon. Cram, what's up? I got in a tiff with the wife. Oh, man. What did you do? Why is it my fault? <laughs> anyway, she was playing Lego Harry Potter, but I wanted to watch anime on the PlayStation. You can watch anime on your PlayStation? With, with what? With Hulu Plus. You've probably tried Hulu.com. Hulu Plus is so much more. With Hulu Plus, you can watch your favorite shows anytime, anywhere. Hulu Plus lets you watch thousands of hit TV shows and movies in the living room or on the go with your smartphone or tablet. With Hulu Plus, you can watch your favorite TV shows like Attack on Titan, Naruto Shippuden, One Piece, Red Data Girl, and more. Watch every episode of shows like Bleach, Dragon Ball Z, Sword Art Online, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and more. You can also check out exclusive content including Hulu originals like The Wrong Mans and Behind the Mask. Hulu's new docu-series that takes you inside the world of sports mascots. You'll also get access to a collection of ad-free movies and kids' content. For only $7.99 a month, catch up on current shows, binge on old favorites, or catch a great movie. Stream as many TV shows and movies as you want, wherever you want. Right now, you can try Hulu Plus for free for two weeks when you go to HuluPlus.com slash anime. That's a special offer for our listeners. Make sure you use HuluPlus.com forward slash anime so you get the extended free trial and they know that we sent you. Go to HuluPlus.com forward slash anime right now for your extended two-week free trial. And we're back. 
to the 215th episode of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. It feels good to be back. It does. I had one of those Sasha's meats while we were at the news break. Did you enjoy Sasha's meat? Nope. I spit it out. What? Oh, wow. Really? It just wasn't worth eating. Okay. I tasted it and then spit it out. It wasn't really worth eating. So, Cram and I swallowed and meats <sighs> spit. Yes, right. That's exactly what happened. That's dirty. It ta- it, it's it, called Sasha's meat. It it's tasted, asking for it. It tasted like a ketchup flavored Cheeto. Yeah, Not very like good. I said, it's kind of like ketchup barbecue sauce flavored. Sasha is such a worthless character. Potato wow. girl. It's silly. I don't understand why she's in that anime at all. Wow, she's really out of place. I feel the same way. Yeah. I will say that. It really was like we have to have this character archetype. Yeah. Like, I will. I will say that I'm staring at the DVD. I'm selling, staring at the manga sales data for 2013, and Attack on Titan came dangerously close to passing One Piece last year. That's crazy. And Attack on Titan wasn't even out the entire year. So I have a feeling for 2014, Attack on Titan will pass One Piece. So I wonder how long it's going to be before they actually release a new Attack on Titan anime. I like I keep saying they need to do it quick because it, they mm. have more manga content. It's not oh, like yeah. they have to wait. If I were if I were them, I'd wait about a year and put out another one. Strike just keep renewing that obsession because it's ridiculous how big that that anime has become so much bigger since it finished. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, way bigger now than it was when it, when it was running. Uh, but so. this isn't <laughs> it's as we as we derail into yeah. other things that we talk about. So. For those of you who haven't seen or heard of this article, it's it's kind of a, made a lot of waves, I'd say. So a little bit. Basically, what happened is there was this interview done with Miyazaki, and my understanding was he was just kind of sitting at his desk drawing, okay, and this, talking about stuff. So, so I'm looking at the pictures right here, and this is what he was doing. He's like musing. He's just drawing girls, you know, doing his thing, being Miyazaki. Sketching, smoking with a cigarette, <laughs> cigarette, with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, and I don't know how does he. I, I have a feeling somebody was just like cramming a camera in his face while he was just musing to himself bitchily about how much he hates anime and everybody <laughs> which, in the anime industry. We also know how much Miyazaki loves having cameras in his. How faces. does he even talk with that cigarette in his mouth? He must be mumbling so hardcore. <laughs> he he mumbles without a cigarette in his mouth. You've seen interviews with him. You can't understand anything. If we're going to talk about this interview, do you, do you guys mind if I sort of run down some of the highlighted quotes from it? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so I was just trying to set up, yeah, that he, a recent interview done with Miyazaki, and there were a couple quotes that were yeah, rather that stood gems out. that stood out. So imagine a very grumpy Miyazaki talking to himself with a cigarette hanging out of his mouth while he's sketching. And he says, you see... Whether you can draw like this or not, being able to think up this kind of design, it depends on whether or not you can say to yourself, oh yeah, girls like this exist in real life. If you don't spend time watching real people, you can't do this because you've never seen it. Some people spend their lives interested only in themselves. So as you can see, it gets gradually more and more (laughs) abrasive. And And then he says, almost all Japanese animation is produced with hardly any basis taken from observing real people, you know. It's produced by humans who can't stand looking at other humans. It just gets worse and worse. And that's why the industry is full of otaku. Oh, no, he didn't. He said it. Oh, yes, he did. Uh, uh, girl. This article got 25,000 likes on on Facebook from this one site alone. So, mm mm-mm-mm. So, I think there's a lot of ways that 
what Miyazaki said can be looked at. But I think what the reason why it's gotten people talking is that kind of notion of the people making anime. My the way I interpret what he says and his opinion is that the people making anime are in a way unfit to be making anime because they're not they're not they're interested in making anime not in telling stories. They don't want to interact with real people and have real stories. Well, the stories that they want to tell, they, I mean, they, they're interested in... I, I think what he's saying is he's trying to... Um, <laughs> he's trying to basically say that otaku aren't social people and the people that work in the industry who happen to be otaku have no business doing their jobs because they don't interact with people and they can't create art that speaks to you know, other real people because they don't even know how to interact with real, real people. I think he's kind of getting around to that. So I must apologize, but uh, Maverick Eveltadu in the chat reminded me that we forgot the poll question. I was going to oh, do it at the end before the next poll, So but we the, can do it now. So it seems that 62% of people that voted said that, yes, they have already voted for the anime Oscars. And a, a staggering and surprising 38% of you watching live have not yet voted what? I don't understand why you haven't done that. Get over there and do it right now. This yeah. second, this we're gonna a, we're gonna this wait. This is an audio podcast, I'm, so you can still listen to us. I'm gonna I'm gonna play Teacher Chiaki. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait until you're completely quiet. If you were in one of my schools, that never happens. Dead air, such a good idea for an audio <laughs> podcast. You can you you can stand in a classroom in front of these Yankee five fifth graders and wait for wait until they're quiet, and it takes eight minutes. I've yeah, done it. That I've done it. About right. I've done it. My problem with what Miyazaki's saying, like, and like, there's, I think he's touching on something that I'll get into later, but what he's trying to say is he wants to make a blanket generalization about people who consider themselves otaku or that society would consider otaku and those people working within the industry and creating art that's supposed to reach out and touch people when they don't even know how to reach out and touch people themselves. Like, I, I, I mean, there's, there's kind of, he obviously doesn't like those kind of people. He obviously has a lot of contempt for those people, especially when they work within the industry that he's, you know, spent his whole life in. And let's face it, Miyazaki has always been exceedingly opinionated on who should be making what. Oh, in very the, opinionated like, in oh, yeah. the animated industry. So, like th- this article that I'm reading, or an an, an, an article that I read, also has also said all the other things that Miyazaki has had a p- very strong opinions about, and they include, you know, v- other gem-like quotes of things, including the Abe administration. In Japan, he goes around and says, uh, you know, how much he dislikes that. The Iraq War, and also the iPad, which he compared to gestures of masturbation. Ah, I remember that one. Straight up quotes. So Miyazaki (laughs) is... such an old man. (laughs) Miyazaki is... He's watching a video of of, of Yoshitoshi Abe, who is a pretty well-known and successful uh, anime and manga creator. I remember this, yep. And And he's sketching on his iPad... You know, a really nice sketch of a girl. Yoshitoshi Abe is doing it. Was, it was one of those, like, here, use the iPad. Show how it can be yeah. made for and art. And he's like, Psh, that's masturbation. <laughs> it looks like he's <laughs> masturbating. He's not using a pencil that he carved out of a tree himself. <laughs> he's not doing it right. Not uh, using actual lead. Not where, graphite. Where are my cigarettes? Lead. I'm getting grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're being mean to Miyazaki. <laughs> Miyazaki is mean to everybody. No, and that's what I want to say is that I think... I think what I think what this article really is is just Miyazaki being a grumpy old man. Mm-hmm. And and there's more than enough examples of that existing out there. Yeah. How much he really feels about this or that is too vague from what he says. But I think that as I said the reason why this is getting people talking and the reason what 
why we want to talk about and what we're going to talk about is is there really an effect of otaku being in the industry yeah. it, from well, the consumer side or from the production side? The only reason why we're talking about this at all is because he used the word otaku. And he said full of otaku. Right. Otherwise, this isn't even a story probably. Full of otaku. I, I think all he's saying is that many other artists have an inability to properly project human elements in animation because they don't observe other people. And I can see how there's truth to that. But, again, the only reason why we're even talking about this is because of the way he said it. So mm. he could have been more polite, I guess. But he just doesn't care. But why Why does he need to be polite? He's Miyazaki. He's he's the number one top shit in the entire world of anime. Miyazaki so, don't care. Miyazaki I mean, don't give a shit. I mean, the, the, the director of Pixar himself, which makes a lot more money than Ghibli does, bows down and kowtows to Miyazaki. So, mm. I mean. Which is so funny. I, I love mean, watching the. John Lasseter. All the. <laughs> It's so awkward. It feels like such a one-sided relationship. <laughs> yeah. It really feels like John Lasseter's like, oh, this is my best friend, Hayao Miyazaki. And Miyazaki's like, I don't what? Anyway, Where so, am I? What am I doing? I can't hear or see anything. So we have some lovely notes <laughs> Where here. Where are my cigarettes? <laughs> we have some lovely notes here on this document. Yeah, so. we've got, I've got yeah. some talking points. I think we've all brought something to the table. Well... Mine are, mine are just next. My approach is next in order on the document. So we'll just go like that. I the way that I approach this topic is I looked at it and I said if if manga and anime and the reason why I extend to manga is most anime are based on manga and for the most part if you have a manga that's very serious and that's very adult oriented and drawn a certain way the anime is not going to completely change it and be like we're going to make them seven year old girls now not to say that that hasn't happened but I generally think that with the manga that anime is very reflective of the manga and so my main argument and approach to this is that the change in the anime industry has affected the environment that creators have grown up in that that the culture in which the creators of these have grown up in changes what they produce and their perception of the media is equally affected and I found a really fantastic article uh, off of JSTOR. I don't know if anybody anybody knows what JSTOR is. JSTOR is a in college. JSTOR is a college is a database used for academic articles. It is, and it's by the Society for Japanese Studies. So it is it is a scholarly article. It's very heavy heavy on business, science, and economic topics. This would this would be something you could cite in a college course, but. The article basically outlined that throughout the 1960s and 70s, manga was primarily viewed as a medium for social and political commentary. There were there were two very distinct types of manga. There was, this is for kids. And then there were things known as um, gekiga, which were more, a lot more serious and adult. And, and you know, through this time, you, you have... Th- manga like Abandon the Old in Tokyo and things like that that we've talked about before. And due to the criticism of individualism and oppression for anything childlike enjoyment in Japanese adults, manga viewed a, reading manga around this time was viewed as risque or counter-societal for college students and young adults to consume because they were either consuming this this anti-society kind of message or underground message of, of Gekiga and, and critiquing society and the government or they wanted to read, they forfeited reading classics for reading children's manga because they were like, I'm, I'm pushing that away and I'm going to do this and I'm re- fight, fight the power by reading manga and 
I think that a lot of the directors that that were born and that matured throughout this time have a very different opinion than on manga and on anime and what it's for and what it's there to say than people who occurred after a ship mid shift in the 1980s. And starting in 1985, there was a group of people born called uh, the Shinjinrui. And these are perceived as people born into a time of affluence without war or without hardship. And they've been described as social scientists as the passive consumers of leisure goods. So around the mid 1980s, there's a shift in the perception of manga and, and it could be argued culture in general of they don't want to consume that stuff that's heavy and that's sad and that's difficult. They're, they're picking pleasure over pain. So fan-produced manga or doujinshi saw a spike in, starting in 1989 with the peak around 1990 to 1992. And of course, this correlates with the comic market growing and the comic market was a gateway for Japanese women to get into manga through a lot of homo- homoerotic subtext through parody manga. I think this is sort of the time period when a lot of Shonen Jump's biggest titles started to come out. Mm-hmm. Which, which again, a lot of the the original doujinshi were homoerotic parody of the Shonen stuff. And, and because they were parody, it was the advent of parody manga. So it changed from that serious and adult-style uh, images that had really been sustained since Gekiga in the 1950s to a lot more uh, childlike or fun or fantastic drawings. So my kind of perception on this is that a lot of these older creators had their their peaks during these times when when manga was something that was either they were doing to they were doing to fight society or to have a message or to say something whereas a lot of the modern day creators that we see that are producing a lot of these pure pleasure goods let's say are products of some of this moe thing and and some of the examples i have are are of course miyazaki he was born in 1941 which means he hit his 20s in the 1960s uh mamoru oshi 1951 hit his hit his 20s in the 1970s uh hideaki ano 1960 hit his 20s in the 1980s Satoshi Kon 1963 20s and 1980s all of these people uh Yoki Yuki uh Tomino 1941 hit his uh 20s in the 1960s all of these people hit their their peak kind of and I and I I picked 20s because I think 20s the age where people are are starting to work and they're starting to go out there and they're starting to say they're they're influenced they're reaching that transition to full adulthood and they're saying what do I have to say and what do I want to do with my career and I think a lot of these people, the way that they viewed manga up until that point affected what they wanted to say. Whereas a lot of the modern day creators, um, and I picked a couple examples, examples, uh, Tsukasa uh, Fushimi, he was born 1981, which means he was in his 20s in the 2000s after this kind of pure pleasure switch. Right. And he was the original creator of My Little Sister Can't Be This Cute. I have a, I have, if, we can, if we can go back just real quick, I have a... Yeah. Uh, Nine of the top twenty best-selling Shonen Jump manga of all time came, started started coming out in the eighties. So Dragon Ball started in nineteen eighty-four. Um, you have Sl- um, Slam Dunk started in nineteen ninety, so it's a little bit after that. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure came out in nineteen eighty-seven. Captain Tsubasa, which is a soccer manga, came out in nineteen eighty-one. Fish to the North Star in nineteen eighty-three, and Dragon Quest Die, Dies Great Adventure in nineteen eighty-nine. And also Roku Den Nashi Blues, which is like a, a, a punk uh, like boxing manga, came out in 1988. 
and um, of course Doctor Slump, which came out, but also Akira Toriyama came out in 1980, and City Hunter, which many of us know, came out in 1985. So, this is a, I mean, th- yeah, this is sort of the the time when. That was sort of the period when 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 manga started to shift gears, I think. Yeah, and so what what my my opinion of this, and then two other we have a uh, Cuckfly who was the original creator of K on, and, and there, there's his birthday isn't known, but if you look at pictures of him, I kind of estimated him to be also in like the 1980s, um, and then Kyo, Kyohiko Azuma, who was the creator of original creator of Azumanga Daya, was born in 1968. So again, he's kind of on that cusp. He's kind of on that cusp of if he's born 68, his 20s were in the late 80s, early 90s. And I really think that that as the industry has changed and that as the culture has changed, perceiving the industry over the years, these creators have had different things that they view the industry as being there for. Older creators viewed it as a source for commentary and newer creators view it as purely entertainment. And and so I think that's part of the shift that we've seen in the content that generally might contribute to this otaku effect of Miyazaki well, saying, you know, they're not creating people, they're just creating fantasies and things like what that. What Miyazaki thinks the definition of otaku is. I yeah. think it's just, I mean, to Miyazaki, I just think that basically it's whatever he thinks. It's just a bunch of people from a generation that's not from his own generation. No. And don't follow the same sorts of process when, when making a manga or an anime that he does. You know, maybe when he was growing up, when when he was young, whenever the heck that was, like like, like 1740, <laughs> Mi- Miyazaki, you know, studied people for hours and hours just to get a character concept. But nowadays, I mean, we see so many character tropes and character archetypes that people maybe just don't even feel like they need to go out and do this kind of legwork, so to speak, on creating a new character. They just say, oh, well, we're just going to do, we're just, we're just going to take a very precedent ap- approach and make a character that sort of fits into one of these, you know, 10 or 20 archetypes. And it's just a different, different way of doing things than maybe, you know, Miyazaki did it when he was growing up and he's grumpy. So, <laughs> I mean, he probably didn't have his Wheaties that morning. <laughs> it all, it all rounds out to that, right? He's grumpy. I do have some thoughts on this. I think <clears throat> what Miyazaki was saying is it's not something that I can I can't get behind what I think his intention in his comments. Oh were. yeah, I mean they're way too vague. Um, very very vague, very generalizing. But I think he does actually touch on something interesting and uh, with his comments, and I think it comes down to um, kind of a matter of uh, education and educating yourself or being traditionally educated in the you know the fundamentals of art or storytelling or writing or you know whatever it is that you're going into and so much of the industry now uh, the content creators are people who are maybe self-educated on the things that they enjoyed in childhood so manga and anime so they're basically taught by anime how to draw manga and to how to animate and how yeah. to tell those stories so which, like, is, which is very much kind of where I was trying. Maybe maybe you summarize it more succinctly mm, than I, but but very much where I was trying to to reach the same point. As. Yeah. So I I feel like because I, I'm not again I'm not as well where very well versed in like the history of manga and all that kind of stuff, and I I tend to know like Western things a little bit better. Um, uh, I think you can draw an inter- interesting parallel between 
what Miyazaki's saying and some artists and some practices that we've seen in Western comic books and, and film and television and things like that. And uh, a couple of artists that I want to highlight are Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld. Uh, I don't know if you guys know who these guys are. Todd- I know who Todd McFarlane is, of course. So Todd McFarlane, he was a lifelong drawing hobbyist and a fan of comic books from an early age. And he went to school on a baseball scholarship and studied graphic art. Uh, and then he, he wanted to pursue baseball as a career, but he had an ankle injury and it ended his career. So he worked in a comic book shop to pay for the rest of his education and go into comic books. So he worked with Marvel and DC before moving on to Image Comics and he created Spawn. Now, Rob Liefeld is actually the man who created Image Comics that Todd McFarlane had ended up working for. And he was also a life bo- lifelong uh, comic book fan and began tracing comics even like w- at an early age, like his his uh his article on Wikipedia even notes that he, you know, started tracing early on. So apparently someone thinks that's important. Uh, he took fundamental art courses in high school and in junior college. And then he came to prominence with Marvel comics and founded image and brought on Todd McFarlane later on. Um, and his Rob Liefeld specifically, his drawing uh, technique his, his, his drawing ability has been criticized publicly. Barry Windsor Smith, who uh, became famous for working on Conan the Barbarian comics from 1970 to 1973, says, quote, Rob Liefeld has nothing to offer. It's as plain as bacon on your plate. He has nothing to offer. He cannot draw. He can't write. He is a young boy almost, I would expect, whose culture is bubblegum wrappers, Saturday morning cartoons, Marvel comics, that's his culture. Someone was at his house and came back with a report. There is not a single book in his house, only comic books. I see nothing in his work that allows me to even guess that there's any depth involved in that person that might come to the fore given time, end quote. Ouch. Brutal. Brutal. And we right? said Miyazaki was grumpy. But Somebody's I, really grumpy. Damn. Someone's car broke down that morning and... Uh, they, I mean, and their dog ran away. But I, I, I challenge you, actually, like not to jump on Rob Liefeld's back because he has he is kind of the the <laughs> the butt of many jokes um, when it comes to comic books. But I challenge you to go to Google image search and type in Rob Liefeld, Captain America. Just that. That's it. Rob Liefeld, Captain America. Chiaki's doing it. She's on the case. And Detective Chiaki. And you'll notice that his his eye for human anatomy is not the greatest. <laughs> what? Whoa. I mean, yeah, Captain America is, looks like a... Uh, how do I describe it? It looks, it, look, it looks like his entire chest cavity is full of tumors. And he's, he has exactly. just... Like, is that you don't hear this as much about Todd McFarlane, and I, I mentioned Todd <laughs> McFarlane because I feel the same way about Todd McFarlane. I feel like Todd McFarlane does not understand the fundamentals of how human anatomy works because... I don't think that they spent their time studying and self-educating or getting a classical education in life art. But is it real? But is, know, but, but, it, but does it go further than than just the body? You know, anatomy. I mean, I well, think that, a lot I'm, of it's, I'm talking about art right now. But yeah, okay. I actually in in college, I had I I had two types of teachers. I was a studio art minor, and I could have almost been a double major mm. just because I wanted to take art classes. That's how right. it worked out. But I, I had two types of teachers. I had the type of teacher that would look at me being interested in anime and manga and things mm-hmm. like that and be like, oh, that's really cool. Let me let me talk to you about it and let me help you with it. And let me let's discuss it. And then I had the other type of teacher that said it wasn't art and <laughs> we didn't get along very well. But the first type of teacher, I actually I, ha- I took in a human anatomy and figure drawing class. Mm-hmm. And the first type of teacher really explained, sat down with me one time and really explained like how important it was to take a class like that, even if you wanted to draw anime or draw right. comics, because 
anime and comics are so exaggerated, but to exaggerate it correctly, you exactly. have to understand exactly. what's there. And it goes back to the, the truism that in order to break the rules, you have to know the rules. Yeah, exactly. Like That's, that's exactly that what That is absolutely said. key. And if I, you're going to draw mm, this too big, yeah. you have to know what this is. Right. You need to know how, you know, need to know the difference between anatomically correct and how caricature works and mm-hmm. how to emphasize the things that need to be emphasized. I'm not saying that everything has to be anatomically correct, but looking at Todd McFarlane and Rye Blyfeld's work, just, just them alone, you can see that there's this, this fundamental lack of understanding of how that works because they, they don't know the rules, so they don't know how to break them well. Right. And comparing them to, to people like, uh, like, for example, David Mazzucchelli, uh, who has a BFA, uh, and he worked on Daredevil. He's famous for doing the artwork in Batman Year One. And Alex Ross, whose whole style, I mean, Alex Ross is a painter. His whole style is to draw his superheroes as, like, photorealistic as possible with paint, like oils and, and stuff. And he, he worked on Kingdom Come and Marvels. And he studied at the American Academy of Art. And these guys obviously have a true art education that they were able to parlay into comic book drawing. You know, they aren't people that were educated by comic books and then, you know, started drawing comic books, uh, which I feel is a is kind of a criticism that you can lay at Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld so, and people of that ilk. So the parallel that you're trying to draw then with this to anime and manga is is that the... The people producing the people producing anime and manga before had very technical backgrounds or who had more traditional backgrounds and then crossed into over into the anime manga world where the people producing it now have been educated by the world. Yeah. And and because of that, they don't kind of know what they're doing. They're yeah, just exactly. looking at they're other fans. people. They're yeah. yeah, they're otaku. I mean and, and that's and that's the thing. That's what I think that's what he was touching on. I don't think that's exactly what he meant to say, what Miyazaki meant to say in his comments. I, I can't really agree with what I think he meant to say, but I think he does touch on something interesting. Um, and t- just to bring it back into manga and anime, I think you can see kind of a, a similar parallel with Hajime Isayama of Attack on Titan, um, who uh, has named manga artists primarily as his inspiration, like Tsutomu Nihai, Ryoji Minagawa, Kentaro Miura, uh, Hideaki, uh, Hideki Arai, and Toru Mitsumine. He, he names manga artists as his uh, as his inspiration. And you take a look at that manga, and Attack on Titan is it's ugly. ugly. Really, it's, really ugly. It's hideous. <laughs> I mean, I thought about reading it once, and I opened, opened it up, and I was like, wow. Yeah. It's bad. But, I mean, part of me part of me thinks that, you know, Miyazaki sort of, in a sense, isn't really an anime director. I mean, anime is so different than, than, than the types of thing that Miyazaki puts out that it's almost as if he is animating something that's that's almost intended for film for live film and but, but I think that supports so, yeah yeah go ahead I, I think that supports what what both of us are saying in, in that you know my point being that he came from a time that he he looked at anime as a medium to say something a medium that was really no different from film or TV or books or anything else. It it had it has it had its own pros and cons and things you could do with it. But but as far as approaching the medium, it had no difference. Whereas you know to go with, again with what I was saying and and definitely what what Cram was saying was that nowadays people look at it and they don't look at it as a medium to to express social problems or or a story there are people that do yes but yeah. yes of course uh, the majority but the populist are, stuff yeah yeah um and and they look at it and they just see anime well 
I mean, nowadays, anime is just generally made for just pure enter- entertainment consumption. But, I mean, maybe it, it's difficult to sort of put your finger on what exactly Miyazaki meant by his comments, 100%, but maybe he's also talking about the sort of cannibalization of ideas effect that we see in anime. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's possible. You have, like, you have anime creators and artists that are inspired by other anime creators and artists, and everyone just sort of piggybacks on each other's ideas, which is the reason why you can almost sort every every anime into like one of seven or eight yeah. buckets. You and maybe he's sort of... I, that's a different topic, I think. Yeah. But, I mean, part of me wonders if Miyazaki isn't just saying, oh, well, they don't they don't even take their inspirations from, from real life. They take their inspirations from other anime, which has inbred so heavily that anime is, is, is now this far detraction from what could be considered real life. Well, I mean, and you, you before the show, you were talking about, maybe you talked about it in the show a little bit, but the, the top-selling manga and DVDs are shonen titles, primarily. All of them. And I, I think that... Pretty that, much all of them. I think that, that kind of um, hints at... I mean, because shonen, let's be real, it's basically kind of this paint-by-numbers framework where yeah. the same... I mean, it's basically the same narrative structure. You just plug in different characters, plug in different s- situations, pl- plug in different superpowers or whatever. You want me to go through it real quick? Yeah, go ahead. So the number one top-selling manga of 2013 was One Piece. Attack on Titan is, I guess, sort of being... Cons- I wouldn't I wouldn't have considered it shonen at first, but considering the fan base that's watching it, I think I, I would consider it shonen now. Kuroko no Basuke, Magi, Naruto, those are all yeah. shonen. And then Ginosaji is not, well, I guess it isn't, not really. At- Assassination Classroom, I haven't read that, but I think it's also considered shonen. Attack on Titan is, sh- uh, is or Hunter Hunter is shonen, Fairy Tale is shonen. So these are all like the top ten. Yeah, absolutely. I think that so. it's comparable to like the multi-camera sitcom with a laugh track in the in, in the West and uh, and like police procedurals and stuff like that, these paint by numbers cookie cutter type shows that are guaranteed to be successful because they have a built-in audience and and it's it's probably the largest i mean it, it definitely is the largest audience the type I do. of thing where people want something different but they don't really, really want, want something, something different. different yeah exactly because I mean, something really new and different requires yeah. investment well, you, in time you see that time. you see that all the time people are like oh i want something new and different i'm tired of the same old thing and then when they get it they're like oh why didn't you give me the same old thing that thing. i wanted <laughs> well i think most shonen anime are different sort of they have like a little unique tidbit to them that makes them sort of different from every other shows but at their core they're all pretty much the same themes and well i think that's what know. that's what cram was saying was that each shonen show it's like how do we get our powers? How do we level up? Right. Like, like it has a almost like a Mad Lib where you can guaranteed, just fill in yeah, the exactly. blanks. Guaranteed that your opponents are going to, or your protagonists are going to come up against antagonists that are a little bit stronger than them, and then the you know the dramatic arc is that the protagonist gradually become stronger than those people and then run into a new group of bad guys that are a little bit stronger than them like i made this point a couple of weeks ago where what if cell, what if cell or boo showed up in the saiyan saga yeah i still think i still think somehow they would have figured out a way no nah, mm. no i don't think so, man. so I, well I, and I, if they did cell and boo really would have been convenient. scaled back i want to i want to shift gears now but but first i want to i want to address a comment from the chat that otaku krill said that he thinks attack on titan is seinen and I think I sort of classify anime in, into these anime or anime and manga are classified into these, you know, shonen, shoujo, you know, seinen, whatever category based on the based on the people that are consuming them. And from what I've seen, Attack on Titan is being consumed in an intense percentage by children under the ages of 14. So, that's all I can that that's all anybody talks about during lunch at my schools. And there is a a 
a very large percentage of the demographic watching that show are young children. So maybe it was intended to be seinen or whatever, but now I think it's it's becoming more, you know, for a younger audience. Um, I want to shift gears. I want to talk about I want to talk about the consumer side of things. And I know that all of this sort of depends on what people actually want to watch. I mean, you could say, you know, maybe in in, in life and in, in anything, really, that that's, that's consumed by people, consumers themselves need to have sort of a, a high standard for things that they're consuming. So if people, if people are satisfied with, with watching anime and reading manga that, according to Miyazaki, sort of lack the, 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 you know, the spark of real life, so to speak, then I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because if consumers are complacent enough to enjoy and, and continue to consume that, then maybe there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. But to me, consumers should be held partially accountable for that sort of shift if it, if it is indeed a bad thing because people themselves need, need to stand up and demand a higher quality and standard from things that they consume. If, for example... We all know that the Final Fantasy game series has kind of not gotten, has not been as good in the last seven or eight years, right? No. But guess what? Everybody keeps buying it, and every game they make still sells six million copies. So you're positively reinforcing a bad behavior. Not me. I'm done. I mean, if One Piece just released really god-awful manga that was just a huge drop in quality from the things that it had put out previously, but everybody's still willing to buy massive amounts of copies of it, then that's on the consumers also to, you know, be held accountable for, for that sort of behavior. And if the consumers are also indeed part of the otaku that Miyazaki's talking about, and the otaku just want to consume the same things and don't care about the quality, then maybe that's another side of the coin. Maybe, maybe that's, uh, you know, sort of an aspect of, of, of things that people aren't, aren't really looking at. And in business, and let's face it, anime and manga are businesses, there is sort of a consumer... Uh, pool that, that, that happens in supply chains where the consumers demand a certain product and they pull it through the supply chain by with their demand of the product. You know, they clamor for it. They want it. In order to satisfy that demand, consum- producers of a product will make exactly what the consumers want. And if the consumers are happy with watching anime and reading manga that are just inbred copies of things that came before, then that's exactly what anime and manga will be because that's what that's what it needs to be to make sales. And in that sense, consumers also should be held accountable oh, yeah. for I things. Mean, it's capitalism one-on-one. If a company doesn't make money doing thing A and a company makes money doing thing B, the company probably isn't going to care what thing B is as long as, as long as it's legal. Right. So... I mean, and I personally consider myself guilty of this in some ways and then innocent of it in other ways. On this podcast, I sort of try to uphold what I think is the better standard of anime. I'm not, I'm not going to watch an anime that has a whole bunch of fan service in it and say that it's good. That's almost never going to happen. That's just not me. I don't think yeah, that but that's... Yeah, there's a whole swath of people who vote with their dollars, and that stuff is yeah, going to continue to get made. I know. That, that's my point. Yeah. I don't think that should be the case, but if... If that's what people want to consume, that's that's what's going to get made. But I'm also guilty of it in other ways because everybody knows I'm playing Lightning Returns right now, and that game is such a huge drop off of quality from from its from its predecessors that I know I still bought it. I'm guilty, but consumers should be held accountable. And if consumers are also otaku, and they also were raised in this same sort of you know time of anime that the, that that the producers are that Chucky was talking about. 
that's another, that's the other half well, of how, the problem. How do you hold how do you hold consumers accountable then? Like, because people, I mean, people vote with their money. And you know well, what? You know what I would almost say, and and this is going well. No, it's not a tangent, but this is something that I just thought of, so I have no research or anything. But I'm just putting it out there. Is it possible? that like most things it's just a bubble it's just kind of a glorified fad like kind of like mecca where where mecca was mecca sci-fi space opera was the end-all be-all in like the 80s well, yeah, and, and people yeah. people consumed it and then they kind of got tired of it sure. and then it didn't go away but it it kind of got pushed to the back burner of just right. another thing i mean there, and there i wonder are, if this is going to be the same i, I, I want to go back and address what you said real quick before sure. you make another comment and you you said that you know if that's what consumers want that's that's what they want right right and i i don't i'm not saying that that it's necessarily a bad thing what i'm saying is that it doesn't agree with what me with what Miyazaki thinks the industry should be i i personally think that if 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 the consumers of the industry want to consume anime that's you know moto toraburu and all this fan service harem moe and whatever else that's if that's what they want to consume, and the industry survives and thrives off of that. That's fine. That's what the industry wants, and that's what the industry is. But that's not what Miyazaki wants in his anime. Oh and, and he no! Does, and he, and well, yeah, he, of course not. And he wants a higher standard of anime. So tying it back to Miyazaki, in his eyes, that's a bad thing. To me, I agree with him. But I think that if ninety percent of the anime industry is happy with what the anime industry is right now, and people consume anime based on that, then that's. That's See, what it is, and it's not what, necessarily bad. You know what I almost think we need, again, at this point in, in the anime community is, as I mentioned before, I mentioned Gekiga. And and back in the 1950s, 60s, and, and a little bit into the 70s, manga was viewed as something only for kids. And so they coined this term Gekiga as, as a manga for adults. And I almost wonder if we kind of need another... Split. I feel like Miyazaki's frustration comes in the sense of, and, and and this is me assuming on Miyazaki's behalf, but I would be frustrated if I'm creating the works that he does and try to say the things that he says, and then other people who aren't as educated or who don't take the time lump it in with the same thing as Motosudabu because it's all anime. And so I almost wonder if it should be there should be a split. I mean, I think I think what happens when you split is you end up creating genres, and that's why we have seinen and you know shonen and all of the distinctions between the. Two. I mean, because the Japanese comic book industry is the most robust comic book industry in the world by yeah. far. I mean, there was something they, like a hundred million manga yeah. sold last year in Japan. It's also the biggest animation industry in the world, and I think that the reason it's it's become that is because they the industry continually puts out content for a whole array of, of interest groups and demographics. And I know that the things that, that we see the most of are things like shonen shows and fan service shows because those shows are the ones that probably make the most money. That just yeah. makes sense. And like, I feel like it's a waste of time to cry about things like Miyazaki crying about, you know, otaku are ruining his industry or whatever. I think it's a waste of time to to dwell on all of the garbage art that comes out of you know this artistic creative industry, as long as we continue to find things like, you know, like uh, the eccentric family and Kilso Giga and Watamote and Flowers of Evil and people doing interesting things, uh, interesting artistic things that don't subscribe to you know a, a, a tired or worn out framework or a paint by numbers kind of um, kind of feeling or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
I think as long as I don't we, disagree. Uh, yeah, as, I think as long as we're still getting that stuff once in a while, and the industry thrives and continues on, it I'm, hasn't I'm gone okay to hell in that. a handbasket right. yet. Right, <laughs> it hasn't not yet. <laughs> I mean, if anything can be said about anime, it's that it has proliferated so much in the last. We've we've, we've talked about this in prior episodes. How in the '80s there were like twenty new anime a year. And now All there's year, yeah. and now there's 35 anime per season. Yeah, there's there's more anime being produced now than there ever has been, and it, that's a conti- it's an upward trend and continually. It, and in all fairness, back in the 80s, there was still a bunch of a bunch of the anime was, you know, probably considered things that Miyazaki wouldn't necessarily like or approve of. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, there are 140 anime a year. So if you know if if 80 of them are stuff that Miyazaki hates, or you know if quote-unquote are negatively affected by the otaku but we still get 30 well 30 is probably generous but if we got 30 good shows a a year you know that were of this higher quality then that's probably a victory and i think part of it might be is is access people have easier access to make anime now or to influence anime by making manga self-published manga and doujin that then gets made into an anime than than what they had before and and before you had a lot of these people who had to go more of the classical routes of yeah. education and and working up to to get their thoughts out there where where nowadays you know uh how many web comics or things like that mm-hmm. have been per- turned into published manga have been turned into anime and and i think that's part of the the more mass quantity and of course the positive and negative of of opening the doors so wide or the doors being open so wide is that when you have a lot of voices in the pot a lot of them probably suck but you're gonna get the gems still in there i think i think basically what we're saying is that the uh, the otaku effect if you can call it that or if you want to give it a name it can be seen yeah. I think you can see something. You can see, say that otaku inside and outside of the industries as com- consumers and content creators have affected how content is made and how much content is made and the quality of that content and the type of that content. But I think there's an upshot. You know, you've got things like Comicette that's the largest comic book convention in the world and it's 100% fan-created stuff. Yeah. 100%. 500,000 attendees regularly when the second largest is... No, it's uh, more than sem- that. It's 500,000 per day. Five, I think it's 500,000 total. I think it's per day. Is it per day? I, I think Detective it, Chiaki's on the case. But um, but then, you know, you've got uh, the, the second biggest convention in the world is San Diego Comic-Con, which only has like 130,000 attendees. Yeah. Comicat, 100% doujinshi, 60% poured. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. I say that's, that's uh, okay, attendance, 600,000 600, 600, in 2013 Six? in the summer. Yeah. Whoa. That's what it says on the side. So, anyway, so I don't know. I didn't. I think we've exhausted this topic. I want to move us along to you know fresh things. So it really is an interesting thing to yep, discuss. Totally. So uh, suggested for your college classes. Go yeah. to your professors. I mean, this is sort of a <laughs> this is a sort of a topic that can be applied to any medium. Oh, and if you want so. to see notes from the topic, it will be in the post on the website for this episode. All of our notes and all of our links to our sources will also be up there. All right. We're going to take a quick anime news break. When we come back, we'll have a review on Kyoso Giga by me and Cram. Yay. Yay. And while we're on break, we're going to have a poll. Do you think having otaku on either the production or consumer side negatively affects anime? Yes, on the consumer side. Yes, on the production side. Yes, on both both sides are problematic. Or no, not at all. So now you've heard us discuss this topic. It's time for you to weigh in on your thoughts over our news break. 
Hail you anime addicts, this is Chiaki and this is your anime news break. First up, for those of you interested in the opinions of the general Japanese public, there's been a recent poll of over 8,500 people. Inspired by the latest announcement of retirement from Hayao Miyazaki, participants answered the question of which director will lead the way for anime fans into the future. Coming in at first place was, and this surprised me, Miyazaki's son, Goro Miyazaki. Second place came Hideki Anno, which if you don't recognize that name, he did a little thing called Evangelion. Third place, you have Mamoru Hosoda, followed by Mamoru Oshi, followed by Katsuhiro Otomo. Then you have, which I knew he had to be somewhere on this list, Makoto Shinkai, and the creator of Gundam, Yoshiyuki Tomino. Now, of course, a lot of these names on these lists are rather old themselves, so it's kind of interesting to see what Japanese fans think will be the next person to lead us to anime glory. Another news for those of you who are fans of Kill la Kill and maybe another prolific director, Quentin Tarantino. There is a new shirt that could give you your healthy dose of both. Aptly titled Kill La Bull, the design plays on homage to Quentin Tarantino's famous Kill Bill style. It's up on J-List and J-Box for just 20 US dollars. Now perhaps a bright yellow t-shirt isn't quite your thing, but you're in the mood for some new anime swag. For those of you with professional-oriented jobs and are Gundam fans, there are some new ties out on the market. They are real neckties in the sense that they're produced by Strict G in collaboration with Robert Fraser and are priced at 7,800 yen, which is about 75 US dollars. And each of these neckties, you would not guess to have anything to do with anime until you flip them over and on the back, embroidered very nicely, or I think maybe printed, I'm not sure, is a little logo from the Gundam franchise. You can find pictures of these ties online and I think they're just a fantastic way to show your fandom. In other news, for those of you who are as addicted to the game Puzzle and Dragons as Mitsugi and I are, there is some new anime Puzzle and Dragon related news that might get you excited. A recent Hello Kitty collaboration has ended, but a new collaboration is on the horizon that may, might make you excited. If you have a Japanese version of the game, you can get your hands on this collaboration coming this week. If you have a US or Europe version of the game, you just have to wait to March. But it's called the Rebuild of Evangelion Event. And it will be descending upon the game with special Evangelion themed dungeon as well as a special Unit 01 Rare Egg Machine, which will ensure you pay plenty of money to get the monster Evangelion theme you want. This was Shiaki and this was your anime news break. Don't go anywhere, because we'll be back to the show soon. Hi, my name is Sunny Strait, voice of Krillin from Dragon Ball Z, and I'm an anime addict. Kamehameha, bitches! And we're back. To the last segment of the 215th episode of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. We had a good discussion. We had our housekeeping right off the bat. And now... Now it's time for our poll result. It's time for our poll results. 
So it seems like people in the chat do think that there is a problem in the anime industry. 67% of you say yes, either on the consumer or production side there is a problem. And 33% of you think that no, not at all. No problems. All right. So. So, let's get on to our review. I'm very excited Yay. to do this review with Are you. Are you? I really am. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about it, and I think we can have a really great... This, this is an, a good anime for this format, because it's an anime, I think, that begs discussion. Yes, absolutely. I agree. So... I was looking over Chiaki Shoulder while she was watching this, and... I don't think it was re- not definitely not a Mitsuki anime. So you I know, think really? it's. Uh, I just just I was watching it and it was just looked like mass massive chaos all the time. And it's it's not, just it has not a me. lot of very very quiet moments. I was yeah. it yeah. was it's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's, it's so pretty. <laughs> while while I didn't actually watch it, I'm not really sure that it was a much of a Mitsuki anime. I have to say one of my one of my and I don't want to go out of order, but one of my favorite shots was the circle and square window mm. of. Um, Koto and oh, what's his name? Mioe. Mioe, the the, but the main, original main character. Oh, the original one, Inari. Inari, yeah. and oh, that shot when it's the two of them. I okay. So I'm I'm already. We should probably already, talk. We should, we <laughs> should probably you, explain. Before Koso you guys, Giga. before you guys start talking about this, what are we, what are we reviewing again? Kyoso Giga. Is there an English title for this? No, uh, no. not really. No, but not a, an official. A one. literal is is capital craze comic. I've I've seen yeah. as a literal translation, but Kyoso Giga. Yeah. Anyway, so this is uh this was actually based on an original net animation by director Die Matsumoto, and um she, I guess she released this. Kimiko reviewed this back reviewed the ONA uh a few years ago, I think maybe three. Wow, a few years, years ago. ago. We're so old. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe two years ago. I, I can't remember where. Uh, let's see. It came out. The original net animation came out in 2011. And it was only 26 minutes long when it came out. Um, there is an ongoing manga series, apparently, done by a different uh, person, Izumi Todo. And then, uh, then there were five more episodes of the net animation in 2012. And then in 2013, the series incorporated all of the ONAs into the main series. So if you watch the series that we're reviewing, you get all of the original net animations and and all that kind of stuff um, because it's all built into the show. Um, And the story follows uh, this family, basically the opening uh, credit sequence will tell you that it's a story about family and rebirth and, you know, all of, all of those good weighty themes and um, it's basically about this uh, priest, uh, a Buddhist priest, who um, marries a, a goddess of sorts, uh, a, a goddess that's in the body of... Um, Do they really get married? Kind of, yeah, close enough. Yeah, I, I mean... I, they're, they're in a committed relationship. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, this goddess that's in the body of uh, a rabbit, and her name is Koto. And well, she's not. She's not a goddess. She's something. She, because she, he, the the priest has the power to draw pictures and then have the pictures come right. to life. So he draws a guardian spirit for mm. for the town or the mountains or, or wherever he lives in, in Kyoto. It's a rabbit. And it's a little black rabbit, right. and that little black rabbit comes to life and falls in love with him, basically. Mm. But as he one day as he is sitting before his Buddha picture, um, the Buddha comes to the little black rabbit and it's one of the the I forgot 
the the official term, but one of like the the Budavistas or whatever. And it's a woman, and she says, "I will I will give you my form." so that you can express your love to this person and then maybe you can save him basically so i my opinion was that she was never really she wasn't born a god but maybe she kind of turned into one when the buddha maybe yeah gave it gave her it's it's all very nebulous it's all very fuzzy and (laughs) not not terribly clear but that's not really what the what the show is going for it's really going for a like kind of this concept of family and how families come together and how it doesn't always mean biological family. And um, interestingly enough, there's a lot of p- parallel themes to uh, the eccentric family, Ucho Tenkazoku, that came out last year. They were running uh, simultaneously side by side. Um, and that I thought that was interesting that they both deal with family in kind of uh, similar ways. I I might be jumping the gun to, no, to introduce this in our discussion, but I saw... And maybe it's just me, but I saw so many parallels between this and and Moara Penguin Drum. Down I to I seen Penguin down Drum. to how some things were depicted were incredibly similar to me. the The themes of of family and and what is family and your relationships with family that was very Moara Penguin Drum. the 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 way that the animation choices were made. Very, reminded me a lot of Moara Penguin Drum how they handled kind of the the average person they were just those cu- almost cutouts of people yeah that was almost identical also to how Moara Penguin Drum did it like well I mean I, I imagine because it, Penguin Drum was made by the same guy who did uh, who did Utena yeah and I imagine that uh Penguin Drum probably has as many uh, metaphors and symbols and things yeah. as Utena does, and that's that's one thing that Kyoso Giga also has is a ton of symbolism, a ton of metaphor, lots and lots of cultural, uh, religious things from uh, Shinto and Buddhism to old uh, Japanese traditions and things like that, and in, and in some ways is a little bit uh, I've, I've used this phrase before culturally impenetrable. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there are there are things about it that beg to be read into, but without like a maybe a native Japanese or just a native Asian knowledge of um, of kind of the cultures and things uh, over here. Yeah, you can't really see what they're yeah. trying to say. There, there was just there was there was just something about it for me where where and I don't I don't want to go so far as to use strong words like rip off because I, I don't think that, but. But there was definitely something that resonated. Like, I got the same vibe that I got from Moara Penguin Drum. And maybe someone else out there who's seen both this and Moara Penguin Drum will, will say, what are you what are you smoking? Yeah. You know, but but it'd be interesting if, if anyone if anyone else has seen both this and Moaru, um, hit me up and, and maybe we can have a discussion on the forums about it, because I definitely saw a lot of a lot of maybe inspiration or or just parallels between the two so the story kind of kicks off and uh and the father figure the 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 buddhist monk um like uh, chiaki said draws can draw images that come to life so he basically draws a family for himself starting with uh the rabbit spirit animal that ends up becoming his wife and taking the the body of the bodit vista or something I'm, yeah. I'm not sure the pronunciation of that and then he draws a daughter and a son and then his second son uh, or no he draws a daughter and well they get their first son and you don't really find out how they get their first son until later later. on this in the series but they have their first son who's actually their second 
son. But and then the he, first son that they drew. Yeah, but they drew after they got. So basically, the one son is is a human, and yeah. they they got him. We'll just leave it at that. And then the two other children they view they the, the man drew, they drew. And, and the girl's name them, is Yase. The girl's name is Yase. And she's a demon. He drew her as a demon, so she's kind of, she's got like pointy ears and big like uh, gooey eyes and big stuff. sclera eyes. They're scary, crazy, crazy scary eyes. You seen this and these pictures of those scleras where there's like no white on their eyes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. She she. And then Kudama is their other son. Yes. And, uh, Who's the oldest? They drew him the, yeah, as the he, oldest. Yeah, they drew him as the oldest. And um, basically, what happens is they are living in Kyoto, and the uh, government in Kyoto, the, the some some government council, uh, is harassing them. Uh, basically, for I guess the way they live, it's pretty unclear as to why they're being harassed. But their their way to get out of the situation is um, Myoe, the the Buddhist priest, draws an alternate universe, Kyoto. Yeah. creates a whole world for his family to move to and live in. And in this world, uh, nothing can be broken. Anything that's broken is instantly repaired. People um, don't, people aren't born. People don't die. Right. It's all like the same people are there all the time. And it's, it's a, it's a combination of humans and monsters and spirits and things. And they all kind of live in harmony in this really interesting off kilter kind of version of Kyoto where everything like all the backgrounds and things have this like thick white line as almost as if they were put together like a collage out of magazines. It's very, very uh, interesting and striking visual yeah. style. Um, and, and that kind of sets, uh, sets the story in motion. Um, Inari, uh, who is the, the current Mioe, the Buddhist priest who draws the world and draws his family and his wife end up having to leave because um, she's having visions like terrible visions of something that's going to happen to her. And, and what this. she, the way that she views it is that the Buddha gave her her body, yeah. but she, to to express her love, and she expressed her love, but she never gave the body back. Right. So it would be a punishment, basically, for not returning what should have been returned. Right. That was how she viewed the visions. So their their answer to this is to go away, and they leave their kids behind, and the uh, the human son that they took in becomes the new uh, head monk, the new Mioe. And um, the their other their oldest son Kudama becomes the head of the city council of alternate universe Kyoto. And the uh, the demon daughter grows up to be kind of. Uh, she looks after the mountains. Yes, yeah, she looks after the mountains. She's kind of a handful. She's kind of a princess. <laughs> you know, I really. I, I told Mitsugi this, but I really think this anime could be renamed to My Dad's a Selfish Asshole. Oh, yeah. Which doesn't really come to the <laughs> forefront until yeah. like the last few episodes, which ends up kind of showing what everything has been about the whole time. And that's that's one thing that I want to touch on with this anime is I, I, I went back and forth. Is this good or is this not good? And... Really, this anime ends up being heavily about Supernatural and the gods. And I won't go into it that much more, but you kind of get yes, that from the narrative very much leans on the kind of uh, spirituality of this world and some some kind of narrative contrivances that you could probably read some metaphor into and say that it's oh it's a parallel with the, the drama that their family is going through and that's fine but so much of that stuff like just kind of crops up within the last few episodes in yeah. such a way that you're like oh okay this is kind of coming out of left field for no discernible reason and that's 
I think that's the problem that Without I had right. a lot with a lot of Kyoso Giga is is it keeps you guessing, but I wasn't ever sure if I if I liked how much it kept you guessing mm. or how hard it was to guess things because it almost takes Deus Ex Machina to a whole new level for me where we're literally Deus <laughs> and yeah. and there were times that I was watching it and I just went okay, I get it. That's in the rules of this world. But it, it felt still out of place. Yeah. It felt out of place somehow being perfectly in place. And there was that kind of awkward disconnect for me when it came to this show. I think the where the show shines is in its characterization of the family and the way the family goes through what they're going through, uh, especially with the, the, the new Mioe, the, the adopted son. When you come to learn how he came into the family and kind of his tragic past, I don't, I don't really want to spoil no, it. No, I don't want to either. Um, but his, his past is somewhat tragic and, and kind of his burden uh, at living in the shadow of his, of his father is, is his basic story arc. And he has to reconcile that with um, with kind of what he is and the place that he lives at and, you know, the family that he has promised to protect and the, the you know, the traditions that he's promised to to uphold um, kind of living in the shadow of a father that left him that just left him. Yeah. This anime is fantastic at punching you in the feels. Oh, yeah. This anime is fantastic at being like, woo, crazy colors and things are happening. And then all of a sudden, like a switch being like, and now you're going to cry. Yeah. There were more than enough time. Like, I never, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I never actually out well, outwardly like cried at this anime. But there were a lot of times that, you know, you have that like your chest feels tight and your eyes kind of burn and like yeah. you, you take like one of those... <gasps> kind of breaths like i had it more than one of those i think one we've missed a major development in the story and that's at the end of the first episode the first actual episode there's also an episode zero that was mostly part of the original net animation Mm. um but this character this girl with a giant hammer falls Mm. from the sky into the shrine in the middle of of mirror kyoto and it was second episode and was it second maybe second episode and um she claims that she's looking for her guardian and she's got these two little spirit creature boys with her called Ah and Un which are not so subtle references to the beginning and the end of the Japanese uh, uh, alphabet um, yeah. so you know they've got things like that she's carrying a, a hammer that when it does damage to things in Mira Kyoto those things don't regenerate yeah. she breaks things with that hammer and they don't regenerate she carries the power of true destruction and then later on, you see the parallel with um, the prayer beads that Mioe has, and he carries the power of, of you know, the creation of life. Outward symbolism. Yeah, to- <laughs> totally, like, heavy symbolism and, and, you know, playing with the dichotomies of, uh, of uh, you know, life and death and the beginning and the end and what all those things mean and trying to reconcile that with what it means to be in a family and what it means to love people. And, and I think that while the show isn't terribly successful at all of its more cultural and spiritual um, uh, things that it's got going for it, I think that it absolutely succeeds in that basic concept of what is a family? How do you exist as part of a loving family how do you love what does it mean to love how does your family define you yeah yeah absolutely i so here was my disappointment with the series and and i don't know if i can really fault it for it but this Mm. is just for me the first i don't know two episodes when it's setting up the monk and the lady koto and 
and everything like that. I loved them from the first moment I saw them. Mm. The first scene of them interacting where she's saying, I love you. It's it, love. I love you. And like they kind of dance around and he dips very, her. Uh, like, it's, it's a very, what, what's his name? Um, from the Adams family, Morticia and Gomez. Yeah. It's very like they, they can't get enough of each other. And, and especially, and then it's like, he's like, I don't understand what you're saying, but like he's dipping her like mid dance yeah. or something. And then it shows them over, over time, like her and him, like first they're standing on opposite sides of a room and then it ends with them like leaning on each other type of thing. Mm. And I fell so in love with them as a couple. Re- like their relationship hit me as being more real than like a, ton of relationships in anime and i looked at it and i said thank god a romance like like a real real one a real romance and then they go away and then they go away (laughs) and i got i got so disappointed by it and i get it 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 wasn't what the show was about that wasn't what the show was about and i get it but but i got so disappointed by that because I wanted it to be what it was about. But then at the end, I wanted more of that. And I felt like at the very end when they are reunited, a lot of it's gone at that point. It is because he has so he he has has obviously become so used to being uh, selfish for the sake of his family. Like because what he what the father figure does, what Ninati does when he leaves is he feels like he's making a decision for the benefit of his family. And every decision that he makes, he feels like he is doing things for the benefit of his family, even when it comes right down to at the very, I'm not, and I'm not going to spoil it, but at the very end of the show, there's a revelation made about him as a character and what he is and what he represents. And he's a lot, he's a lot more than he just appears to be at the yeah. beginning of the series. And, and you realize that he hasn't quite uh, resolved that uh, selflessness uh, of protecting his family and the selfishness of being what he is, being the quite powerful being that he ends up yeah. being. Um, and and I, I think I don't think the show plays with that entirely successfully. I, I think a, a lot of what is said about his, um, about the father figure's uh, feelings about himself as a son and how he kind of feels like he's in the in the shadow of his father and how he's done that to his own son by leaving him behind and letting him be take over as the head monk as the mioe and seeing kind of the the emotional torment that that's put his son through he realizes that what his father did to him he's done to his son and it's kind of this chain that has to be broken and he he does finally realize that at the end of course can i say mioe the son mioe's backstory is is possibly one of the best moments in this whole yeah, anime. Yeah, it totally is. Because because it the reason why I say that is everyone's backstory up until then didn't change anything. It added something, but it didn't change anything. And that backstory was the first time that I saw characters in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. I saw characters that I loved in and I was kind of like I I, I really liked you and it's well it's you're definitely not who I thought you were exactly and it's one of those moments where you know you understand on a very basic level what he's been going through like dealing with the responsibilities that he doesn't want and dealing with a you know without spoiling it again too much kind of being left by parents more than once he he he, he had that experience more than once in his life being left by parents you know in so many words 
And he's dealing with those things. And then when you realize the real conditions under which he was brought into this, this kind of uh, supernatural family, um, you understand where he was coming from and everything kind of clicks in a super significant way that, that makes you go, wow, this, this character is really deep and layered and all of the things that we've been seeing, you know, are, are directly related to something that he's experienced that he's carried with him his whole life. And, uh, and that's just, I mean, and we're, we're only really talking about Mioi at this point because you get that same kind of feeling with, uh, Koto, the young girl, you get that same feeling, uh, with Yase, the, the demon girl, the episode where the, um, where the station opens up and people can send things that they no longer need kind of as a, a symbol of even in this world where people don't die and people aren't born and things that are broken are put back together, there is still a means in which you can let go of the past. Like once a year, the station opens up and you can send things that you no longer need away. And Yase, the daughter, the demon daughter, is not prepared to deal with the possibility that one of her moment, her mementos from her mother um, is gone. Yeah. Um, that has it is somehow mistakenly been, been sent through the station or stolen or something uh, something she's she's not really sure and it kind of manifests itself in her becoming the true form of her demon self and kind of wreaking a little bit of havoc before she calms down and realizes that you know the cup that she was missing does not mean that she's lost uh, the memory of what that cup represents yeah. and I remember when I watched that episode and, and it's been several months at this point since I watched that I remember I, I tweeted something about how the um, the psychological problem that comes with hoarding com- yeah. comes with that idea of hoarding is absolutely nailed in that moment like the moment where you realize where she realizes that she hasn't lost the memory if she loses the memento she's just lost the memento and it doesn't really mean that much I think that absolutely nails that kind of disease if you will that mental disease that comes with hoarding I think it was also really sweet one of the the big things in that episode and and I don't think this is a spoiler because you see it right off the bat but she had a she had a doll and it was very precious to her and one at one point the older brother said get rid of it if you don't get Mm -hmm. rid of these things mom won't come back to us and and he forced he forces her to get rid of he gets rid of it for her basically and and in that episode you realize that that the doll has come back. And I won't say much more than that, but I think that that was also really powerful in that sense of of like when when you let things go, you open the door for more things to come in right. and for for new things to come in. Um and, I mean we and we can talk about um what did you think of the art? We've only t- touched on the art a little bit. Did you I thought it looked amazing. I was blown away just by the first few minutes. Yeah. I thought I thought it was gorgeous. I I could see the places that they save money on, and I thought they made perfect choices with that mm. for for the places that they did spend their money. Um, I thought the style was fantastic. I thought I loved the art and the music. I thought the music was music also really great. good. The, I, I think the the second half of the series actually showcases some of its the, the stronger music, very interesting combinations with orchestral and synthesizer type stuff that that really kind of fills out you know, these events that happens later on in the series. I, for whatever reason, the last half of the series, that music stands out to me more than the beginning, the first half. I I think all the music was fantastic. Yeah. I thought it was pretty great. Um, that's one thing this anime have is atmosphere. mm -hmm. The, the animation and music and everything, it has a great atmosphere. Yeah. The, 
it definitely sells you on a vibe. I wasn't a huge, and I'm an old man when it comes to this stuff, but I wasn't a fan of like the little CG elements constantly floating around on the edges of the screen, like the little squares and stuff that were, I don't know. It felt really unnecessary. It felt like someone making the decision, this world doesn't look strange enough. It doesn't <sighs> look unique enough. That- we need something to let the audience know that this isn't a normal world. And I'm like, your art direction has already oh. sold that. Like- yeah. Cram, I thought that was like some kind of a commercial thing from the TV station. Are you talking about those little blue, like swirly things that kind of yeah. go around? Yeah, like- yeah. I thought that was totally like either the fan sub are doing that or... The no, no, or like or like the or the um, whatever TV channel it happened to be on in Japan. Yeah, that's that that that's a decision made when you don't trust your art direction enough to let it speak for itself. Because without that stuff, you can you can look at any one of those frames and be like, "This is not meant to be the real world." I think I was really distracted by that for the few minutes of it that I did watch. To I, be yeah, honest. I didn't like that. I really think, and not to heart, not to crux on this, but I just feel like the show would have been a much. And and I don't know. I don't I don't know if I can say this, but again, my opinion. I, I wanted the show so much to be about relationships and I feel like it it was about relationships and it was about familial it's relationships. It's about family, but it's not about romantic but, relationships really. But even then I felt like it started cheapening itself toward the end and all of those relationships it established with all of the the craziness that kind of got in there right at the end where they were like, we're going to make this about something much bigger than what it seems. Yeah, exactly. And the whole like, oh, and you're a th- the 13th planet and there yeah. can only be 12 planets, so it's going to have to d- blow up. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're in trouble now. And I felt like it all got cheapened, but but going back, one of the things I loved was right at the right at the beginning, again, first or second episode with Mioi and his girlfriend, there's a scene where they're sitting and they they talk about sex. Yeah, like, I don't think she got enough screen time. No, she, I, I thought she was a really interesting character and they didn't do anything with her. And it was such a natural like like she's like, "Are you staying tonight?" And he's mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, but I just want to sleep." And I'm like, "Yeah, hello, real, it's real, hello." <laughs> and and I felt like it started out having that such realness, the relationships, but then the show got so carried away with itself. That that some of that was lost yeah. just because not to say the relationship stayed real the whole time, but everything got so crazy. It did get crazy. That, but I, I feel like the show understands its own strengths to the point that it it always leaned on the family. It leaned on what the show was really about. And like I said, they, they tell you right in the opening credits, it's about family and rebirth. And it's about how this family fell apart and how they're going to get back together. Yeah. And the means to that end sometimes gets a little wacky and very transparently idiosyncratic. And we're going to use the, the, the rules of this world to kind of um, uh, create a situation in which we can make this thing happen that needs to happen. And that's fine. That's how you tell a story. But um, I, I feel like the show is so dense. It is so packed with symbolism and metaphor and things like that, that, that so beg to be unpacked that it was almost, I mean, it, it was, it was kind of a frustrating uh, experience watching it when those things are so on the forefront and I just don't have the means to unpack all yeah. that was there. Um, I mean, it, it's definitely a show that, that deserves rewatching. Yes. Uh, it's super, super ambitious. Uh, and I, I love that it exists. I love that we get, we still can get things like this. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, I, 
I can't not recommend it to anyone. I mean, I, I especially think, I don't know if we've said it, but it's only ten episodes, and I, I mean, not counting the episode zero, which is a kind of recap of the ONA, and then episode there's an episode ten point five, but it's just a recap of the whole right. season. Mm-hmm. So it's ten episodes, and even one of those episodes, episode five, is like a we're taking a tour of Kyoto yeah. today. So it's I it's only not consider even, it ten episodes. It's yeah, just, yeah. Just I consider it nine. I don't really oh, consider the, that Kyoto episode. Oh no, it, it's, it was it's, cool. It's ten without that that episode. No, it's it should be. Oh, you count episode zero. Yeah, you're kind of okay. All right, yeah. I mean, I for for a ten episode show, it, it's such a small time commitment. That, I love it. I mean, I love the five. I love I love when shows are shorter. I, I mean, do too. And as I get older, I, I when I hear that a show I, is twenty six episodes, I'm just like, really? I I, <laughs> I think that when a show is shorter. Sometimes I feel like it means that they're not afraid to have less content, and I mean, a lot of shows you know might fit the ten episode format better, but they feel like it has to be a you know fit the full season, so they cram three episodes of garbage in there, and that doesn't help the show at all. I you know, mm-hmm. I have to say with this show, I wish they handled some things differently, but I don't wish it was any longer. Right? No, I I think that they were able to say what they needed to say in the in the time that they were given. Um, and I think they do a pretty good job of that. I don't, I don't always love the means to the end in the show, but I love the end. Yeah, I love. I don't love how they get there all the time. Um, a lot of the time, I do. I don't love it all the time, but I think that the ends certainly justify the means. Um, for the, in this case, because it's really, it's really true and it's honest. And despite all of the wackiness and the craziness of this mirror universe and all of the little machinations that come into play later on, uh, I think that it's core, uh, story about this family and how they come together and how they discover what it means to be in a loving family and what love, I mean, even what love is like she says later on in the series, you know, love is eating breakfast together in the morning. Love is a many splendid thing. Love. That's all it is. she says one thing that made me laugh, though. Something like "Love is coming home, fi- home coming home five minutes earlier from work than normal," and I'm like, "That is so Japanese. <laughs> that is so Japanese. I love you, so I'm going to come home at seven fifty-five instead of eight p.m." Yeah. <laughs> so um, uh, I really enjoyed this. Yeah, I'm so I did too. I'm so glad we have this, and uh, I want I want more things like this. Japanese anime industry. Yeah, and and whether uh, whether you agree with me if it if it's Moaro Penguin Drum esque or not, the fact that I even could make parallels for yeah f- for, for me you. means that it's good. <laughs> so um, I guess I'm going to go ahead and score this. I, I, yeah, I find it hard to score things. I'm going to give it a four. Um, I really enjoyed it. I I was leaning toward a four. I was leaning toward a three and a half four, mm. not a four four and a half, but but. It, it still sticks for a four to me. So four hammers of destruction out of five. Yeah. It had a lot of really good things to say. And again, even even if you didn't always love how it ended up saying them. Mm-hmm. So I, I did pull the chat while you guys were talking and asked, you know, how, how much they liked the show. And unfortunately, the, uh, the majority of people said that they haven't seen it. So uh. they have no opinion. But the average score of the people that did vote, which was only 43% of people, gave it a three out of five. Three. Wow. So I think three is a little low. I could see an argument for a three low. and a half. I could see yeah. an argument for a three and a half, but I'm I'm not ashamed of my four. No, not at all. all I right. mean, the show. I, I, I recommend this to everybody. Really, it was a beautiful looking show that certainly seemed like it had a lot going on. 
I, I like I said, I didn't watch it, but but what I did see, I thought it, it, the music and the if I didn't have so much to beautiful. watch, I would rewatch it. I think yeah. it, I think it begs to be rewatched probably a couple of times. I still need to watch like Penguin Drum. Any any show that that I watch and I go, I need to watch this again to get more out of it mm. is doing something right. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, well, I mean, we all have a ridiculous amount of shows to watch. I'm just looking at our document right here, and we're all watching something in the ballpark of th- at least 13 shows. And I will say though that it, that that not on purpose, we managed to pass only 12 episode anime. So oh, pe- go pe- us. So pending Yowamushi Pedal being a in a never ending series, which I don't think it will be, pretty much everything that we're watching will end this season. So cool. We're going to get a fresh stuff, a fresh start for what looks to be a very promising spring season. Yeah, spring is looking; it's coming together. I counted, and there's something like twelve anime that I'm interested in from the spring. Wow, that's crazy! I mean, it's and of course JoJo is in the spring. It'll it'll make up for this middling kind of winter season. Yeah, every time I watch the uh, the the short trailer for the new JoJo anime, I get excited. So yeah, I heard screaming earlier. Yeah, I was yeah I was screaming, so right, right right before we were doing the podcast, I was having a I was having my own little fandom blow up. So yeah, cool. All I'm, right, I'm glad you guys liked the uh, Kyoso Giga. Yeah, go it's team. Great. So this has been episode 215 of the Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. Once more, you can find us at aaapodcast.com, iTunes. Don't forget to drop us a rating on iTunes, especially if you like us. Facebook.com forward slash Anime Addicts Anonymous podcast. Give us a like and stay tuned in for all of our news and updates and things like that. Twitter.com forward slash aaapodcast and where we broadcast live every Saturday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Ustream.tv. Live just for you. But if you can remember aaapodcast.com, you can find direct links to all of those right at the top of the page. Thank you, as always, to those of you who joined us on the live stream. Our show was made that much better by being able to interact with you. Taking us out tonight is the song Heart Realize from the anime Noragami by the artist Tia. So have a good one, everyone. See you next week. Later. We'll see you guys later.
Now that the show is over, don't forget to sign up for your free trial of Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus lets you binge on thousands of hit shows anytime, anywhere on your TV, PC, smartphone, or tablet. Support this podcast and get an extended free trial of Hulu Plus when you go to HuluPlus.com forward slash anime. That's HuluPlus.com forward slash anime.